Okay, good morning everyone. Welcome to another new Energy Chinwag with myself, John Massey and Charlie Rattan. Hi, Charlie. Good morning. Uh, right, today we thought we would talk uh, in general terms about industrial clusters, which on the face of it doesn't sound like a very thrilling energy um, chinwag. Um, but there's, we're seeing quite a lot going on in terms of um, these industrial clusters or hubs, whatever you want to call them, in this, in the sense of decarbonisation. Um, so particularly around hydrogen, which is something we're both tracking at the moment. Um, but I think it's also come into other things as well around kind of offshore wind and so on. So, um, so yeah, we thought we'd talk in general terms about clusters. Now, Charlie, you you're based in the northwest of England. Uh, that's probably one of the well, yeah. there's various proposals uh, there. Do you just want to outline kind of your perspective on what it's all about? Yeah, um, I, I get. Um, I've been heavily involved with the um, the uh, Thornton Innovation uh, Centre uh, listeners and John, uh, as, as you may be aware. And over there, that's um, an old shell site tucked away uh, behind Stanlow uh, Refinery, which also used to be a shell site. And as I've been involved in the last couple of years. It's quite clear that the ambition uh, for hydrogen, of uh, various forms of hydrogen, is, is, is very wide, uh, wide ranging. And that northwestern part, the, uh, the Cheshire, the North Cheshire, the Mersey, Cheshire more widely, the northwest of England. It's, it's, there are interesting reasons why actually it might be a, a very good location for a potential hydrogen cluster or, or, or hub. Um, Cheshire has got uh, a lot of uh, chemical industries, uh, big players on the uh, banks of uh, of the Mersey. It's got the old Stanlow refinery itself. It used to be Shell. It's now owned by SR. That's got some uh, decarbonisation um, um, uh, philosophies behind it, the way it moves forward. Oil and gas, as we spoke about in a previous podcast, needs to uh, to decarbonise. But I think um, looking looking around. Uh, there are opportunities, um, schemes, for example, to put tidal barrages across the uh, the River Mersey, um, schemes to involve some of the offshore uh, wind. We've talked in the past about the round four offshore leasing round, where there's perhaps a couple of gigs worth of offshore wind in the Liverpool Bay area. There's possibly a chance to revitalise the uh, the ship canal. And there are also other, other factors, um, for example, hydrogen trains that are built at the town of, uh, of Widnes, on, uh, on the River Mersey and very much a part of a people uh, type of aspect to what might be a cluster. So in the, in the past couple of years, these clusters, they've been drawn up. We'll put a couple of maps out to augment perhaps this podcast. But um, when you look at the map, you'll see that it's actually it's joined up thinking, Some, something that went out of fashion perhaps in the 1970s. Uh, in those days, a new political regime, leave it to the market, these top-down strategies, they, they don't really work, they distort the market, let the market decide. But they seem to have been retrieved uh, from the littermen <laughs> in recent years and, uh, and dug out. We've got an industrial uh, strategy for the UK. Uh, we've got uh, one strand of it is for electric vehicles. Another strand of it is decarbonisation. And um, the industrial hydrogen uh, clusters might meet a major part of that industrial strategy. We've talked in the past, haven't we, about um, the offshore wind sector deal? Well, it might tie in well uh, there as well. Uh, so there are all kinds of reasons that I think that these uh, industrial clusters based around hydrogen particularly, of various types, are back on the agenda. Yeah, I mean, I think it's 
there are there are several clusters. I'm just got a map in front of me now. Um, I mean, just in the UK, um, you mentioned around the kind of Merseyside Northwest region. Uh, South Wales is looking at it as well. Humberside, I think we've talked about before. Um, Teesside, Grangemouth, St Fergus, and the Aberdeen area. So there's there's a few of these clusters, and I guess it's worth kind of thinking about because they're all they're all slightly different um i guess if we were lo looking at well, why why bother with a cluster or what how are we defining a cluster um in my mind it, it's kind of it's trying to short a lot of it's about the kind of shortening supply chains it's having lots of things together in the same place which can feed off each other so you can be you can have supply in one place demand in, in the same place or next door and particularly with things like hygiene which are not easy to move about you you save a load of effort a load of money and also one of the things that we're very keen on is the whole deployment difficulty you save the time civil works planning and all the other bits and pieces that go around having to deploy big infrastructure to move things long distances so so these I, th I think these each cluster will be slightly different i mean we've talked about the uk uh, also rotterdam around the port they're very keen on on clustering uh, and some of them i think will be hydrogen some of them won't be some of them um, might just be around um simply <clears throat> offshore wind and then electricity electrification of industry even but i think a lot of the ones we're seeing at the moment are around existing industry and a lot of existing industry obviously is based on fuel chemical usage heat um and so in that sense yeah certainly hydrogen if hydrogen's to grow i think the clustering thing makes a lot of sense um because you've got you've got sources of demand um if you can if you can start to produce locally um and certainly if you're going to have to start doing things like carbon capture as part of it depending on how you're producing the hydrogen then if you can do all that in one locality then that makes a lot of sense and another thing we've mentioned i guess is is reuse of um infrastructure reuse of assets as well there's these industrial areas tend to have already lots of pipelines and lots of um, port areas and storage facilities and <clears throat> vehicles, particularly heavy vehicles driving around. So, um, so yeah, if you, can, if you can start to reuse some of that and you can start to integrate that together, it just makes a lot more sense than trying to do something on a kind of big countrywide scale, I would say. Yeah, it seems to have a few uh, similarities with the uh, merchant wind uh, model. Uh, where your uh, supply and demand are perhaps uh, married up and uh, perhaps you don't need to think about uh, long-distance transmission. I know that there's a, a Rio 2 um, consultation out on the gas grid. The gas grid is going to be different uh, going forward as it is now. But if you do it locally, and I'm also intrigued as to, to why suddenly, whether these clusters, whether they are actually complementary to each other or whether... Uh, there's something of a reverse uh, beauty parade of whether we're going to have uh, the northwestern one up against perhaps a Teesside one or a South Yorkshire one, or uh, whether whether there's some prize uh, behind it. Whether uh, we've come across prizes before, certainly in the carbon capture world, it's not not some of this isn't new. Um, St Fergus, you mentioned, I think that's part of the Acorn uh, project, which has been awarded a bit of funding up in. Uh, in Scotland, but I, when I was with SSE years ago, this was kicked around. It, perhaps uh, people dig, dig out old schemes. It was uh, it wasn't uh, hydrogen then. It was uh, it was carbon capture and storage, and uh, and, and uh, I think quite traditional. Uh, but the idea was, I think SSE and Shell would uh, use the caverns at sea and pump them full of uh, of carbon capture um, material and, and use that as part of a, a carbon capture and storage for a competition. Uh, and I think the competition was then pulled, uh, and lo and behold. Uh, that was uh, put into uh, mothballs, 
Uh, and now it's reinvented it. And to some extent, uh, the cynic in me also senses something similar in Cheshire. Uh, again, I was at Eon 14, 15 years ago, and, and the idea then was to... Uh, the salt caverns are massive in Cheshire. They go from miles, Middlewich, Nantwich, Northwich, miles apart. But under, underneath these salt towns, there were um, big underground caverns. And I think the idea at the time was to kind of create some kind of slurry, some water slurry underground and, and line the caverns uh, and then use it as a giant methane uh, store. Um, I think we'd had a couple of harsh winters back in, uh, in in those years, and there was a big demand for uh, methane storage. I think Mr. Putin was uh, was rattling a few cages with his, his 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 finger on various pipelines, and it alarmed people. And so there's a big demand for storage. Um, a couple of early schemes. I think one at Aldbury was built, and I think there was some alarm at the cost overrun. Uh, the rest of them never really um, took off. Uh, but like a lot of things, certainly in the circular world. Uh, some of these um, schemes seem to have been uh, retrieved from mothballs, uh, mm. from the archive, dusted down. And uh, <laughs> we've talked about how hydrogen is, is, everybody's talking literally about hydrogen at the moment, and re-badged, re, re if you like, with a, with a hydrogen uh, facade <laughs> to make them fit for the uh, mm. for the modern entity. And of course, the, uh, the, the clusters have taken that to another level now, and they start saying, well, we're decarbonising everything. So wouldn't wouldn't it be good to integrate? So it's 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 a very very ambitious uh, mindset that seems to go back to some extent to, to fifty years ago in the nineteen seventies. Yeah, and I think um, as we've said, all all these these companies, both the industrial users and the the energy providers as well, they kind of they know decarbonisation is on the way. Policy is not suddenly going to go backwards. They're going to have to do it at some point. Um, we've mentioned. And, and certainly with hydrogen, some of that is around um, asset reuse as well. There's, a, there's an element of kind of staying in business, um, be, staying relevant, I think, um, compared to other alternatives. <clears throat> so that will certainly, certainly drive some of it. Um, I think I think you're right in terms of different clusters. There's, there's also an element of competing for money. Um, if there's if there's money floating around, um, inward investment, most of these clusters also have, um, as part of the kind of support partnerships, they'll have local chambers of commerce or local councils um, or, or whatever else. Um, now, they're, they're not terribly interested in technology, but they are interested in jobs and they're interested in direct investment and, and other bits and pieces. So, so yeah, I think there'll be, there'll be an element of... Um, of where these these clusters maybe are competing for the same pots of money um I, I think they will what you'll find that already i know for the so for like the south wales one there's a there's a chart that kind of shows potentially how they could link up with the the northwest of england one so that it, maybe if you don't have carbon capture and storage in the, in south wales you you ship the carbon up to Liverpool Bay and ship it underground there alongside the other another cluster. Um, I guess one of the challenges is it's going to be much easier to develop a cluster and get it off the ground without overcomplicating it by having reliance on other clusters. So, so coordinating some of that could be challenging. Um, it's probably going to be harder to develop a cluster if you're if your kind of model is partly reliant on on another cluster and how fast that develops it's as we've talked about with i guess the analogy there is offshore wind farms each having their own grid connection it's the <clears throat> to get the project up and running um even though it might not in the long run 
most sensible. You kind of do your own grid connection rather than waiting for some shared grid connection because um, you just want to get your own, you want to control your own timetable. Um, so, but yeah, I think they'll, so I think to begin with, they'll be self-contained. Um, but yeah, I guess in the long run, if if as a model it's successful, you could start to see um, synergies between them, some sharing between them. But in, in the short run, I think, yeah, I think there's an element to which councils are competing uh, for for jobs, for income, for finance, um, and so yeah, will there's an uh, that brings also an element of kind of speed as well. So coming up with plans that can actually be implemented reasonably quickly. Um, there's no point in having a grand scheme which <coughs> takes decades to do while other clusters are busy getting on with smaller schemes and, and generating generating business in the meantime. So again, there's some in, there'll be some interesting kind of competitive battles, I think, potentially between yeah. some of these schemes. I think there might be a danger of running before they can uh, can walk here. We, we've talked a little bit in, in the past about high deploying the various high net schemes up and down the UK. The Dutch have got something similar. And it seems a big quantum leap from a trialing a network on hydrogen at a university environment, bear in mind the second stage at Winlatton near Gateshead isn't even up and running yet, to be thinking about entering some pot, presumably, for um, a, a, what is a major uh, infrastructure project. If you were to put all the pieces just of the Northwest one uh, together, uh, it would be almost an epic scale, almost on the scale of the, uh, the motorway building and, uh, and the nuclear program on, on that kind of uh, uh, scale. Uh, an element that might be worth teasing out as well is something that we've touched upon, and that is um, the hard-headed commercial realities for certain companies, certainly if you look at Cadent and things, and those involved with oil and gas. Um, we've talked in the past about decommissioning, and uh, if you're on the hook for hundreds of millions of pounds of decommissioning liabilities, uh, it perhaps is an, a good driver uh, to find alternative use, uh, alternative use for pipelines, for caverns, all the associated infrastructure uh, with it. And I wonder, looking at some of the locations, uh, St. Fergus uh, up in uh, actually in the northeast of, uh, of Scotland, the, the Liverpool Bay, where there's also oil and gas infrastructure, where there's actually an attempt to... to um, so, I mean, revisit. I mean, you could put a circular economy type of argument saying, well, the kit is already there, or some of it is. Uh, there's also a refurbish. And then you bring on board the big stakeholders like your local enterprise partnership saying, like, hey, there's a great jobs and people story here as uh, as well. And uh, uh, you bring a whole group of, uh, of stakeholders uh, together. And one way of doing that is to show some rather glossy pictures. We'll put a couple out perhaps with this uh, this podcast as well so people can see the sheer scale of some of these, uh, the ambition of some of some of the clusters. Yeah, no, I think I think that's true. Um, I think it's one of those where to to kick it off, you obviously have to show grand ambition because people have to think, oh, this is going to be enormous. I need to be part of it. Um, <laughs> you want to try and bring in as many kind of companies and and sort of <laughs> lobbying interests and so on as you possibly can. Um, and to generate interest from people that might potentially provide the money and so on, it, it's got to look as though it's it's kind of heading somewhere. I mean, if you look at the the timescales, I mean, certainly the the one in the in the northwest um, high net, um, the the timescales of that are re really quite long for it to come to kind of full. The full chart is sort of in the mid twenty thirties or something. Um, so. So these things aren't quite. I think what you'll find the reality will be that you might start off by decarbonizing the operations of a refinery or 
five industrial capturing carbon from kind of five or six big industrial units um, <clears throat> rather than immediately going to right we're going to we're going to do that and build 100 kilometers of hydrogen pipeline and build 60 kilometers of carbon capture pipeline and <clears throat> build storage underground and have scale <clears throat> massive scale hydrogen production or whatever so it'll be <clears throat> i think a lot of these kind of big cluster visions to, to get there it will be a series of steps where <clears throat> you start off small you do something that's achievable and that makes sense economically or as you say as as funding grants um, which, which help kick that off um, and it'll be kind of then proving step by step that those things work and um, before before realistically you're going to get people putting whatever high net claims the capital costs or a billion <coughs> a billion pounds or something uh, you're not suddenly going to find investors at this stage throwing in a billion pounds for something that's kind of that far away. But what they might through is put money in for sort of small steps to get there. So I, th I think what you'll find with these clusters is that they obviously might have to make a noise and uh, produce a big glossy report with a grand vision for people to take notice. But then what matters is going to be then how they break that down into into sort of specific stages and specific achievable goals along the way. Yeah. Uh, coming to the international aspect, you touched upon this uh, earlier, and I was struck because the uh, the Dutch, uh, we've talked in the past about everybody, seems to be coming up with a roadmap or some kind of vision and a strategy. Uh, there are nation states, there are regions, you name it, and there's, 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 it's almost uh, one every, every day. But the Dutch have come up with one, and that seems to be very pr pragmatic. And you mentioned, I think, was it Rotterdam that you mentioned earlier, that yes. with Shell and Gasuni? Uh, and that, that was big. I think I think some of the, uh, the figures are eye-wateringly uh, ambitious on on that um, the northwest as well uh, the, the northwest of England is a manufacturing base it does have oil and gas it does have salt uh, cabins and it has a chemical industry and of course agriculture as well mm. along with manufacturing ambitions so I suppose that thinking aloud is that they would all be doing something anyway and they've all got to go got to net zero anyway yeah. that's already that's all so they don't so if you're already doing it and you've got an offshore wind drone that's already in trade anyway why not at least think about some form of, of, of joined up thinking we've seen in hybrid in, in the past we've talked about hybrid projects where these hybrid projects are going from day one as hybrid now but that wasn't the case the early wind farms they had solar elements bolted on later so they were up and running get the project away keep the planning simple get the project up and running deliver it and then start to see well is there a phase two and perhaps phase two might be in a, a harmonious technology so you might want to think as we've spoken about hydrogen with wind or solar with wind or wind with some other uh, technology and i wonder whether there's a combination of uh, pragmatic organic keep it simple keep the project deliverable get it through planning nice and easy don't put scary pipelines that are going to go across hundreds of different landowners and all all the technical details with that but just put a nice deliberate for, pick an element that's perhaps a, a low-hanging fruit you mentioned perhaps a refinery. I think it was a refinery in there. Perhaps we could make that stage one. And once that's away, and once it's been delivered, think about uh, stage stage two. So that would be it, it appears to be much more achievable, certainly from a project delivery point of view, than <laughs> some some grand vision that uh, may or may not be. Sometimes these grand visions, uh, as was found in the 70s, can can not go very smoothly. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's that's behind really the idea of clustering uh, as well, because. There are some things that you, I guess you can't do individually. So things like carbon capture and storage, for example, you, you're not going to build a carbon capture and storage scheme just for one <clears throat> one sort of cement plant, for example. Um, so there'll be something. So again, even 
when you're doing those steps, if you're going, to, if someone's going to go to the money and the issue of kind of putting that infrastructure in, um, you need you're going to need several customers really to help spread the cost over it. Um, so, which again is where the clustering comes in. So you can be doing individual things um, on individual plants because they they all know they're going to have to do that anyway. Um, but there there are some things that require integration. So as you say, it's going to be much easier to integrate that if those plants are kind of within a kilometre of each other <coughs> um, rather than spread over kind of. <laughs> 100 square kilometers in, in kind of diverse places so there are again i think that's another thing that kind of feeds the clustering idea is that is that yes there are some things you can do quickly and relatively easily on a on an individual customer basis um, but then there are some things and I, i'm as i say i'm thinking particularly of things like carbon capture and storage but potentially also things like new pipeline infrastructure where to justify that you're going to have to you're going to have to have a business case which involves multiple customers and so having those those close together i guess the other thing that <clears throat> worth mentioning about clusters in general is that i mean we don't have tend to have chemical plants in the middle of housing estates but <clears throat> they're usually not far away from population centers so yeah. the the other thing about these clusters is that they're all they might not be slap bang in the middle of the cities but they're not far from them so there's also an eye then on being able to start with a cluster and but expand beyond that cluster into things like in the case of hydrogen blending into gas networks or um, as you say hydrogen trains hydrogen vehicles whatever um, whatever the kind of visions may be so so yeah there's kind of starting it's a i think they're also seen as a kind of a way to bridge that gap between the kind of if you like the the low-hanging fruit to the, the stuff to start with and the kind of mass market later on because more of that mass market is close again without having to go to rolling out a kind of national hydrogen filling infrastructure or national carbon capture infrastructure or whatever it may be yeah and i think coming back to high deploy again with its four point strategy it seems to go from very small to very large <laughs> four steps which is quite ambitious in its own way but number four is indeed uh, that uh, the final national uh, strategy but one thing that we've not really discussed and it's uh, all right there might be advantages on clustering but of course it's not going to be cheap uh, so mm. i suppose the, <laughs> the point is who pays yeah and, that, and that's the challenge because if you're you can on an individual project so like decarbonizing a refinery um it's much easier to see where that <clears throat> that comes from because you've got a a an obvious customer you've got someone for example if we're talking about shell decarbonizing a refinery by using green hydrogen rather than gray hydrogen um, there's there's an obvious customer there'll be someone supplying the hydrogen which may even be shell themselves and so so that that's kind of easy where it becomes harder is okay now we've got I don't know, 15 different big um, carbon emitting industrial sources. Um, we want to build a carbon capture. Uh, we can do carbon capture on each individual plant, but then we've got to put it in a pipeline. <clears throat> we've got to build a pipeline that we can put it in to ship it out to <clears throat> the Irish Sea or whatever and shove it underground in an old gas field. So now now that, that's where it becomes trickier because someone at some point has to line up the fact that they've got these 10 or 15 users all committed that they're going to feed into this pipeline and help pay for it um or do you just 
I don't think anyone's going to just sort of build it on a on a hope and say, right, here it is. Do you want to do you want to use it? So it's kind of you're into the classic kind of lining up lots of um, lots of ducks in a row before you can convince someone to give you the money. So and then and so then you're inter interesting questions about, well, is that something that really you can privately fund? Is this some of this? And again, it's kind of anathema i suppose to the free market thing but does some of it become like i don't know like the national grid was does it become a kind of national strategic thing that the, the nation decides right well we need to do carbon capture um, and storage but no one's going to pay for it individually so is that something that the the state actually if not fully funds but has a stake in or stands behind or whatever um so yeah i think we'll see some interesting uh, interesting funding dilemmas for, for <laughs> particularly around the shared infrastructure aspect. I think there's there's things that you can quickly get on with on an individual basis, but it's stuff where it's a kind of if you like a common good. It's the classic commons bit of economics. Is how do you how do you fund something that individually someone isn't going to fund, but everyone ultimately might benefit from. So to to, to do that, and you're talking about socialising the uh, the pain, if you like, because it's not mm. going to come. Uh, cheap and as we know that uh, electricity is very and certainly energy is uh, a hot political potato if you like i think uh, it was widely acknowledged when uh, was it was it ed Miliband uh, hit something of a political bullseye when he said uh, this is there's something not right about electricity pricing and uh, <laughs> i was working for a company at the time that was a utility and it certainly felt uh, the ramifications of that political in intervention mm. which have been um, amplified by others as uh, as well so if somebody was going to say well we've got this shiny new strategy and uh, it looks good and you bring everybody on board uh, but what they don't necessarily say in the small print is but it's going to cost x y and z and we are looking because uh, i wonder again the cynic in me suggests that these shiny glossy uh, images are also uh, a, a bit of PR, if you like, trying mm. to get, uh, <laughs> get um, sugaring the pill uh, for pain that might be involved, uh, and that pain to be absorbed by individuals on 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 the ground uh, when when the, when the bill comes in. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, uh, most of these glossy reports ultimately are aimed at as much at policymakers as as investors. I think at this stage, because. Um, Investors are going to wait for a lot more detail, um, but policymakers, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, certainly, how do you <clears throat> how do you paper it's going to be central? I mean, one question there is, if we're talking about a cluster, which is a geographically localized cluster, does that mean that, for example, for the northwest cluster, <clears throat> you spread the pain <clears throat> across the taxpayers of Liverpool, Manchester, and Chester, for example? Um, why should people in London pay for <clears throat> help pay towards a northwest carbon capture infrastructure? And I, I guess. And the analogy being, I think, Crossrail, I think that's been spread across the council tax bills of all the London taxpayers. It would be the same kind of thing. But then on the other hand, you could say, well, carbon capture is is a kind of national, in fact, it's even a global um, good. So why shouldn't that be spread more widely? So, And that's where you get, they're obviously going to get into political battles. So, And that's particularly interesting for some of the local authorities, I would say, and some of the local politicians supporting these schemes. Um, on the one hand, Yes, great. Let's bring in lots of lots of jobs and so on. But if if they then are having to defend locally to their constituents that they're the ones on the hook for the bill, um, then yeah, that might have some. <laughs> there'll be some interesting trade-offs for them. Yeah, um, interestingly, both uh, Manchester Manchester signed up to get net zero by twenty thirty-eight, Liverpool by twenty forty. Now you don't have major policy announcements like that without some ramifications of them. Mm. So they. 
in themselves. I think uh, Manchester City Council owns a good portion of the airport. And you mm. might say, well, there are 4,000 vehicles. I think Eamon Gaffer, when we spoke to him, indicated the whole heap of uh, vehicles at Manchester Airport, which was a good target for decarbonisation, even the logistics side of it, never leave it. So if you're true to your own vision, stated public vision, then you should, in theory, put um, this out to some kind of tender and saying, look, we're going to tender all the vehicles at Manchester Airport or Liverpool and all the rest of it, and this will form part of the wider cluster, but be aware that there will be a cost uh, to, to it as well. But you'll find that uh, because of the decarbonisation agenda, a whole heap of areas largely immune, really, from, from decarbonisation. I'm talking about NHS, I'm talking about local government, the agricultural sector, that not really... Um, being engaged in, in certainly not the electrification decarbonisation is suddenly going to be engaged now uh, mm. with gas and uh, hydrogen and as you indicate um, it's not going to be a case of uh, the, the nation might pick up the tab because they, they might not and you might you mm. might find it on whatever the local local <laughs> the local element of the, of the bill is and it might not go down too well. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be a really hard sell for, as I say, someone in I don't know, someone in. <clears throat> where should we say, East Anglia, for example, <laughs> um, thinking that they're on the hook for some wildly expensive multi-billion pound schemes in South Wales and, and Teesside, <laughs> that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I think there's going to have to be, I think locally there's, there's probably going to have to be an element not just of reaping the benefit. If you want the benefits in terms of jobs, economic growth, uh, all that kind of stuff, then you're going to have to foot the bill as well. Um, and yeah, certainly at the moment, those kind of those kind of details aren't in the glossy brochures. Um, so, <laughs> so then, but they will have they'll have to come up somewhere. I mean, we're back to our classic thing about stakeholders. Um, the stakeholders aren't just the kind of industrial people um, the stakeholders are all the, also the people that ultimately are going to have to be on the on the hook for it and potentially are going to have to be asked to are going to be asked to sort of change elements of their of their um the things like their appliances um the things they buy um the things they drive whatever 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 else it, it may be so so, yeah, there's, there's lots, of, lots of kind of practical hurdles and political hurdles. Yeah, I did I did notice at least that the Northwest one and its various elements of the picture did have people on mm. the uh, the image, which is not often the case for major projects. I don't know if the uh, major projects in the UK have got a stellar record of keeping to cost and keeping to timings and keeping to uh, to budget. So that might be certainly anybody that was involved in the gas storage schemes might mm. cast uh, a dubious eye over some of the uh, of the funding issues to uh, to come. But nevertheless, I think um, all right, we've got seven or eight. We've just rustled off a whole heap of UK clusters and there are other ones it's not just uk in isolation we've mentioned holland or germany i think there's the cold west cluster and there's different forms some some include biomass some include different types of uh, green tech some oft, often the hydrogen uh, base the the dutch one in rotterdam is green hydrogen mm. different types of uh, hydrogen as well but they're bringing together a whole heap of green tech and uh, clean tech as as well and i suppose from that from our point of view that is a, a, of great interest that the country is seeing that these technologies are mature they are bankable, and at least people are saying, "Well, let's think strategically. Let's let's not. It's not a daft idea to think about joining them up, even if it's after the initial stages are, are built out." Mm. Yeah, yeah. The, certainly, the cluster thing is not. It's not a, just a UK thing. I mean, Australia. They're talking about clusters. We're bringing together uh, renewables, so solar, wind, along with the stuff hydrogen we've talked about here. Um, evolution of gas, liquefying it, exporting it. Um, so yeah, Germany you've mentioned, Netherlands we've mentioned. I mean, I think almost almost everywhere. Where certainly looking at the kind of 
industrial side of things and certainly looking at things like hydrogen carbon capture and storage um clustering is a kind of obvious obvious way to do it and and likely the way that those kind of things will develop i mean if again going back to carbon capture and storage i mean you can only you can only store in you need particular places you can store it that's not going to happen everywhere so um, and you don't want to be transporting it for thousands of kilometers i don't think we're going to start trading <laughs> we're not going to start moving carbon dioxide on boats over enormous distances um, to store it somewhere miles away so you're gonna you're gonna want to store it somewhere close to where you're capturing it um <clears throat> again the hydrogen maybe we've <clears throat> we've you can trade it. There are ways to move it around over huge distances, but it doesn't mean that in the first instance, that's a good thing to do. Um, in the first instance, the best thing to do is to produce it and use it <clears throat> as close together as possible and cut out all that extra complexity. So, so yeah, as a global trend, um, I think you'll certainly see that. I mean, even, I mean, somewhere I go quite regularly, Singapore, I mean, they've, <clears throat> there's various things they're looking at. I mean, one, one issue they have is, is not much space, um, not much land. So the idea of running the whole thing from solar is a bit notional. Um, but they also got, again, they've got existing assets and existing business to protect. It's a big refinery place. Uh, lots of oil and gas passes through there. So, so yeah, I mean, they're very interested in, in the whole kind of clustering aspect as it as it's sort of specific to their market and as you say these things will be specific to different locations depending on on what the industry is that we're talking about what the resources available close by are um what what technologies fit in those locations how much space there is what the logistics are i mean yeah all sorts of factors yeah i think it's uh, obviously we've talked a lot about the energy transition and you can see a transition argument in there can't you in that uh, the existing assets don't become stranded. They've got a new lease of life, uh, if you like, and also there might be a transition. Um, I think. I think one of the things I think we talked about hydrogen in the past. Clearly, there's a lot of impetus behind it, so some of it's going to happen. And perhaps the real debate will be not whether hydrogen happens or not, but of what form of hydrogen uh, prevails, if you like. Will it be uh, the, the green, which is not the cheapest, mm. or will it be one of the other forms and different aspects of these clusters? They've all, it's not it's not kind of come up with a cluster and then roll it out globally. They're, they're all tweaked, if you like. They've all got certain elements in common, uh, but there are uh, disparate elements and it's site-specific as, as well. The developers won't be scared uh, by that. It seems that the principle is that one thing that is striking, if, if there's an alternative to the cluster, everybody's talking about clusters, but there must be an alternative. I suppose the alternative would be a, a transmission kind of, uh, of system where you don't cluster and you just say, well, let's think of a nation or wider even than that. And there won't be a cluster. We'll just go, go and put a, a network of, of transmission infrastructure in place, which on the face of it seems a, a very expensive uh, a folly. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think realistically, if we looked at hydrogen, for example, I don't, I don't think realistically we're suddenly going to build another another national hydrogen transmission network. Uh, we might look at the existing gas transmission network and, and see how easy it would be to um uh, to convert that over whether the whether we need to do things with pipelines either replace them line them coat them whatever it may be um and the other bits of equipment attached to them um but that's not going to be quick so uh, and also there's there's some i mean there's some economies of scale here as well and um, depending how you're producing hydrogen if you're producing it from gas there's certain economies of scale in terms of the reforming plants um i think also if we look at 
some of the clusters, if you looked in Europe and plotted them on, on a map, it's no coincidence that a lot of them are kind of around the North Sea area. Um, and I think that's because a lot of people are looking at it and saying, well, actually, we don't think hydrogen from gas is, is going to be the, the main thing in the future. We think hydrogen from renewables and the obvious renewable we think is going to grow the quickest. Also has things like the highest capacity factors to keep the electrolyzer running most, um, most frequently is, is offshore wind. So again, a I don't think it's a coincidence that we're seeing people also making their bets on what they think the source of hydrogen will be. Um, and so in that sense, your cluster might be less based around some of the kind of traditional things like, I don't know, in the, the South Wales, you've got Milford Haven where the gas comes in. Um, it might be where offshore wind comes in. Um, so it might be where... You've, and particularly for, for offshore wind, we move towards not having individual grid connections, but having kind of an offshore grid, which then comes in at certain points. Then in future, your clusters might start to appear around big, inter, if you like, international interconnection points yeah, where you've got um, electricity coming in. I'd like to pick up on that point, if I may, because a couple of things interesting there. I think, first of all, the Germans are looking at offshore wind specifically for hydrogen, which is a big, I mean, it's, it's almost rewriting the rule book as to what a wind farm is, which was an electrical generation um, facility. Mm. So you're almost scra scrapping that and starting it again. I did notice, uh, obsessive as I am, uh, about a couple of these clusters. First of all, the Northwest one, there've been a couple of iterations. That's a real techie word, beloved of the development community, a couple of iterations of the Northwest cluster. And I did notice additional offshore wind turbines appearing on later ones uh, from the uh, from the diagram. Uh, likewise with the South Wales one, uh, it's very interesting that I think the oil company Total has just announced its uh, net zero ambitions. It's linking up with Shell and BP and saying we agree with net zero by 2050 as a philosophy, which has got major ramifications uh, for what happens in Total. Uh, but uh, also they've linked up with um, an interesting company I've dealt with in the past called Floating Power Plant, combination of uh, wave, uh, but also wind, which loves harsh Atlantic kind of uh, wind conditions. The harsher, the better for that uh, bit of kit. And lo and behold, uh, a planning application has been bolted on to round four for just such uh, an offshore wind facility off the South Wales coast. So the timing is actually very, very interesting of all of this. Uh, the timing also of the decommissioning of the oil and gas when it's no point just saying well there's an oil and gas field out there when is it going to get commissioned yeah. what is the plan and, and some in the uh, in the northwest are talking we're talking about three years which might just fit quite neatly into the uh, the high nets that stage three of high deploy <laughs> all these words uh, uh, of the third stage and i think the northwest must be a, a front runner uh, because of the salt caverns i mentioned earlier and also of the timings of that decommissioning. It's already going to be decommissioning. People are already going to be thinking about it and on the hook for it. Perhaps we should start to get this cluster in the northwest up to speed sooner rather than later. Perhaps it'll be one of the, one of the trailblazers. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely timing is going to matter. Um, and I, yeah, I don't know enough about the different um, oil and gas fields as to as to when, when they are, um, like, for example, going to be able to switch from... Um, getting oil and gas out to sticking carbon back in if that's what you want to do again one of the advantages of offshore wind is you lose all that all that carbon capture issue and you there's no capture no carbon involved so it becomes much simpler in that respect which again i think it's one of the reasons why even in the northwest that kind of looking towards the possibility to well maybe we can ditch that and just 
do offshore wind. Um, now there might be some partners for whom that's less less attractive because they were hoping to reuse some of their gas uh, pipelines, for example, to, and gas field platforms for carbon capture. But if you're from a, a user point of view and an onshore network point of view, um, maybe a bit more pragmatic about that. Um, so yeah, I think I think these all these cluster plans will they'll have to evolve over time. I think as because none of them are quick, none of them are talking about being operational kind of tomorrow. Um, they're all they're all several years hence. They're all going to need some to raise some money, and over that time, things potentially are moving quite quickly. So I think you'll see you'll see them tweaked. Um, I think you mentioned the uh, what's called the Nort H two, the Shell uh, one in in Rotterdam, where. I mean, they when they launched in February, they were talking about 10 gigawatts of dedicated offshore wind by 2040, I think were the numbers, um, and then starting with two or three, uh, three or four watts by 2027, I think it was. Um, whereas just a couple of days ago, they were bidding in into an auction for this um, 760 megawatt wind farm, much smaller scale, and talking about maybe having 200 megawatts of electrolysis by 2023. So much sooner much smaller but but at least you're getting going at least you're getting off the ground and then yeah. you can build from there and originally yeah. just talking about providing enough to help with their their specific refinery so again you've not got complexity of having kind of to line up multiple contracts and juggle multiple players together but once you've got start to get the infrastructure in place and prove the concept then it's much easier then to start adding things on and you can and you can adjust as time goes on you can you can change your plans as that whatever the whatever the thing about the changing your plans in the face of the enemy it's one of those with these major mega projects if you like that's well worth uh, remembering because one thing that struck me is that the salt caverns of cheshire still be mined uh, they're getting bigger and bigger mm, yeah and the, uh, the, the, and the uh, what, what we might have a three three year run into these uh, offshore facilities off liverpool bay but others might be five years and seven years so other clusters might then start to come into their own and that might work if you're thinking about a one two three four uh, kind of step policy anyway which the dutch are and are obviously pretty major stakeholders in, in holland and our own high deploy thing as well uh, it, it perhaps there's an element of pragmatism built into uh, into these uh, things uh, not least with of course we've still got to get somebody to foot the bill for it and uh, it, it might be easy to foot the bill if you show, show that stage one has worked and stage two is well on, on way as well and costs have been kept under control uh, and, and, and things are moving smoothly yeah yeah definitely i i mean it i mean it does occur to me that i think that some of these clusters and it goes back to what we were saying before um i think some of it is going to be led by uh, i guess what you call job retention as much as job yeah. creation um i think there's a a lot of this is kind of defensive to some extent especially from kind of your, your standard oil and gas and gas network players um so so that will also determine um not just not just from the industry side but also government side um which areas get support and which areas um get um get the best chance of progress it won't just be around necessarily even what the kind of best technical or economic <clears throat> solution on the face of it is it will also be things like well if we just let all this industry here kind of start to wither away then we suddenly got 25 percent unemployment in that area so as a government we're not it's not something we're prepared to happen so yeah. um so it, we might look at a solution which people might scream at and say well that's that's not really optimal in terms of efficiency and x y and z but actually they're looking at it in the round and saying well hang on a minute if we if we just 
if we just let that industrial cluster wither uh, or we decarbonize it um, in, a, in a different way, um, what are we going to do with all these people? Um, we can retrain some of them, but maybe we can't retrain all of them. Um, so, so that, again, that, that's the kind of the reality of politics and socioeconomics, I think, will also drive the locations of some of these clusters. I mean, if we look at places like Teesside, South Wales and so on, I mean, they're play, places where unemployment in Northwest as well has, has traditionally been, been a problem. Um, so, so again, that's a big driver in all this. Yeah. And it's part of the industrial strategy as well to shift the resource away perhaps from the southeast, which may not yeah. be a palatable message for the southeast. Of, uh, of course, got the points because I think we've covered it pretty uh, uh, thoroughly that uh, obviously there are a whole heap of uh, drivers, wind farms offshore now, they've got, effectively they've got 70 years, they've got uh, 60 years plus 10 for the option. So that is effectively, you know, it's generational. Um, when you when you sign into the one of these, we're not you're not talking about short haul projects. You're talking about long long burn projects, which may yeah. be a good message. Uh, and I suppose the second one, which is a bit of a far outer uh, idea, is that uh, for offshore wind, we've got a sector deal. Can you foresee, given that there is a cost involved, um, some kind of momentum towards a hydrogen sector deal that somebody's going to jump up and say, well, actually, we want one too. Yeah, I mean, there are, I can't remember what the number is, there's isn't there about 20 sector deals in different <laughs> sectors. I mean, we tend to obviously focus on energy, but I think there are other sector deals in pharmaceuticals and other bits and pieces as well, from memory. I, can't, I, can't, I may, have, may have dreamt that, but I'm sure there's a big, I'm sure yeah, there's yeah. quite a big number, a number of, them. <laughs> of sector deals out there. Um, so, yeah, I can. I mean, I can see the hydrogen sector wanting one. I can see potentially carbon capture and storage wanting one as a separate entity, because, uh, again, that's not just relevant to... So hydrogen that's relevant to um, just industrial gases and just um, power plants. I mean, all sorts of other bits and pieces as well. So um, I think having seen what has happened with offshore wind and how the sector deal has kind of given a level of certainty and a kind of level of commitment on both sides to a, an ongoing roadmap, then, yeah, I think I think there'll be lots of lots of areas that are thinking, well, <clears throat> we've got kind of political risk here. We've got it's a kind of long we need a, some sort of long term certainty, even if it's not specific numbers at specific years, just a kind of sense that the government has committed to that. Yes, this is this is a strategic um, <clears throat> a strategic goal and a, an, in, an industrial growth goal. I think, yeah, there'll be other sectors. I think hydrogen's an obvious one. And I'd say I think carbon capture and storage potentially is one as well, um, separate from individual um, specifics. So, so yeah, I, I don't see why not. Yeah. Well, thanks for that. I mean, that's a pretty thorough, I think, analysis of, uh, of clustering and hydrogen clustering and all the rest. Is there anything else that we should add at this stage? Is there anything that the listeners might expect us to of cover if we're to do it justice the, sub the subject because it's certainly it's certainly there's a lot of noise out there in the uh, <laughs> in yeah the, I mean the people read about this kind of stuff and we've got trying to tease out some of the nuances of it but is there anything else that we should be uh, bearing in mind at this stage yeah I mean I think we, I think we've covered most of the the general issues around clustering I mean a lot of these things are notional at the moment they're kind of <laughs> they're, they're big glossy reports and maps um but obviously with with a decent amount of logic behind them uh, but yeah the crunch is going to be okay how do how do you take them forward um what how do you turn a big kind of vision in 15 years time or 20 years time into a series of steps on the ground now and, and i think we're, we're starting to see that happen i mean there have been some government um grants and competition awards recently i mean we're talking about small numbers i think kind of there was, was kind of about 200 million pounds or 
everything split between six or seven projects quite recently, which was all kind of industrial um, carbon capture and industrial hydrogen stuff. Um, so like baby steps, but I, th I think it'll be it'll be watching how those baby steps develop and then watching how some of them then start to join up. But I think some of the big challenges around the, the clustering, as I said, as we've said, is some of this shared infrastructure. How's that? How's that going to be paid for? How's that going to be built? How much disruption is it going to create? Um, who's going to take the plunge really to to say, right, okay, we've got enough people committed, not just kind of said, oh, it's a nice idea, but actually committed somehow to say, right, we'll we'll build these several kilometres of carbon capture and we'll convert this offshore platform to inject rather than um, extract and we'll, we'll get on with it and we'll commit because that will be a five-year project <clears throat> so we've got long-term commitment to do it and we've got someone prepared to put up the money so it's it's that transition that's going to be the tricky bit. Yeah would you say that it's a risk that if, if the UK PLC doesn't commit then somebody else uh, will commit and uh, they might reap early mover advantage as a result of that as well? Yeah, well, certainly within a lot of this, there's also, I mean, there's going to be a lot of learning here. I mean, I think with any any industrial strategy, it's not just about what you do locally and nationally. It's also about exports and as well. It's about knowledge. And, and, and exports doesn't necessarily have to be exporting stuff. I mean, the oil and gas industry, again, I can't remember the numbers, but there's a lot, a lot more. We export a lot more in terms of knowledge, so things like consulting and technical expertise and computer modeling and all the other kind of bits and pieces that don't involve shipping containers and boxes of stuff or barrels of stuff. There's a lot more money comes into the country from the kind of knowledge base on oil and gas um, than actually oil and gas itself. And, and the same will be true of all these things, I think. So, so again, that's part of industrial strategy, I think, is if you can be a first mover in whatever it may be, hydrogen, carbon capture and storage, steel decarbonisation, cement decarbonisation, whatever it is. Um, it's not just saying, okay, we've we've built a box which we can now sell to other places. It's about building building experts and building knowledge and building data and computer systems and optimizations and all the other bits and pieces, software. <coughs> um, it's those kind of exports, I think, ultimately as well will be important. Yeah. Thanks for that. I think Alexa has just lurched into life, and I think that was a bit of a gentle hint that time is. Uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a bit of a, a lurch from the electronic world. Who knows who who's at the end of that uh, particular microphone there? Yeah. But uh, uh, I think we've covered. I think yeah, we've covered a lot to the idea yeah. of. Uh, and obviously, if listeners have got anything they would like to add, we'd love to uh, to hear from them. Feedback is uh, is very much appreciated. So thanks very much indeed for. Uh, listening as we uh, as we chew through the the, the concept of, of industrial clusters and hydrogen clusters. So uh, th thanks a lot, uh, listeners, for that. Yeah, thanks everyone. Bye bye. Cheers.